Well, hey everyone, Athena Dean Holtz here, and welcome to the All Things Podcast, where we gather once a week to learn and share stories about how God works all things together, writing a story of good, because He is faithful and good. Think about it, 2020 has turned many of our lives upside down, so who couldn't use a major dose of hope? I'd like to ask you to share this podcast with friends or on your social media outlets and perhaps review it on Apple so others will find this podcast easily. Every Wednesday, I'll be chatting with a friend who I know and respect, one of our Redemption Press authors, who will not only share a personal Romans 8.28 story, but also help to give you tips and tools for your life journey. Two episodes a month, we'll have an additional interview with a well-known author, and sprinkled in along the way will be additional Romans 8.28 stories from our She Writes For Him bootcamp graduates and others the Lord brings my way. So let's get started. Welcome to today's episode of the All Things Podcast. I am super excited to introduce you to one of our newest Redemption Press authors, Cam Molyneux who is the author of The Spirit of a Revolution. You are going to love this interview. So first things first, let me give her a proper introduction. Award-winning author and speaker, Cam Molyneux, wants to help Americans understand and fall in love with history. With genealogical ties to and a shared patriotic spirit, With the spirit of a revolution's protagonist, she is uniquely qualified to tell his story. Her articles have appeared in an international publication for those with ties to the Molyneux family tree. She and her husband of 29 years live in South Carolina, where she completed her debut historical novel. Set in Boston in the years leading up to the Revolutionary War, This captivating story seeks to remind Americans what our founding fathers believed was worthy of a fight. Just to share a few little known facts about Cam, she owned a construction company until the collapse of the housing industry in 2008. She worked on loading docks for UPS and delivered packages for FedEx. She won a talent portion of a statewide pageant many moons ago, and she took three years of Greek in college. She is just so much fun. Let's go ahead and roll that conversation. Well, Cam, it is an absolute delight to have you finally on the All Things Podcast today. So first of all, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I have very much been looking forward to it. And well, we are going to jump right in. Before I start asking you about your new book, I would love for you to share with us one of your favorite Romans 828 stories, just so our listeners get a little bit of a sneak peek into how God works in your life. Okay. Well, I would say that the 828 story that is most closely associated with my book started about 20 or 30 years ago, which is a long time. But just kind of to give you a snapshot, my husband and I had just gotten married. And uh, long story short, 
we had lots of friends who are missionaries and we wanted to build them a uh, place to live while they were in the States. And fast forward a few years, Lord kept closing doors. And uh, then my husband eventually um, had to quit his job because of health issues. And at that point, I was into construction because that's where I was heading to build this missionary retreat center. And I got my builder's license and started a construction company. And that's kind of part A of the 828 story. Then the housing industry collapsed. Um, And that was a lot of fun time. Uh, I know a lot of people had had really rough times during the 2008, 2007, you know, that time period. And I had lots of time on my hands all of a sudden because I didn't have any houses to build. And so at the same time, part B of that story is that my husband was starting to listen to some news sources that were saying things that just raised our concern for what was going on in our country. And uh, it, those two things came together on a family vacation in 2013. And last day of family vacation, you know, your mind is more clear and you can think more creative thoughts and that kind of thing when you're on vacation. And the last day of vacation, I woke up and I realized that I had a book to write. And that was because all that time I had on my hands, I had been doing family tree research. And I realized I had people in my family tree that had made an impact on the founding of our country. And I decided or realized that I could use their story to remind people what our founding fathers believe was worth fighting for. And so, you know, had it not been for all of those things over the period of long, you know, long period of time, then I would not have discovered these people in my family tree and uh, wouldn't have had a book to write. I was telling somebody today that my father-in-law asked me years ago when I was doing the family tree research, he said, are you going to write a book? I said, no. (laughs) Wow. But I look back now and I realize God was planting that seed. I love that. So my first question was going to be what prompted you to write the novel, but I think you just told us. (laughs) So let me start with who do you think would be interested in reading it? Well, eight years ago, when I realized I had a book to write, I got back from family vacation and ran to the library and checked out books about what it means to write a book. And uh, I realized that I was supposed to narrow my target market. And I love following rules. And so I said, okay, I'm going to target my market and figure out who that is. And I came up with uh, politically conservative middle-aged men as my target market, which probably sounds pretty strange, but I had been around men pretty much my whole adult life, you know, in construction and otherwise. And that just seemed to be my market. And, okay, so I was pitching to that demographic, standing in the foyer at church, and the wife would be standing there, and I would pitch to the husband, and the wife, after I finished, would say, yeah, it sounds like something he wants to read, but I also want to read it, and I want my kids to read it. And I told her, I said, you're not helping. I'm supposed to narrow my target market. <laughs> <laughs> 
And so I learned that it wasn't so much about the age of the reader as much as it was about love of country uh, or wanting to help your children learn to love our country. Mm, I love that. And, you know, that was how long ago? Eight, eight years. Okay. And now you, <laughs> Seven think, or eight about, years. you think about where our country's at right yeah. now. Oh yeah. my God. Yeah. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. I, God, God had a plan. I, I woke up uh, from, uh, you know, that morning on vacation and I was with my brother's family and my folks. And I remember telling my mom that I had a book to write. I'd had an epiphany and uh, I tend to be the tortoise, tortoise rather than the hare. And so I plodded along and uh, the Lord's fingerprints have just been all over it. I mean, even in the last few weeks since the book has come out, it's just been amazing to see how he is blessing it. Mm, it's not my project. That. Not nope. my project. <laughs> I believe that, girl. So who exactly is William Molyneux? And why is he an important historical character? And why is he not well known given his role in America's history? Yeah. Well, historians say that Molyneux is second, was second only to Samuel Adams in his influence on the streets in Boston in the years leading up to Revolutionary War. And he's not known, and this is a little bit of a spoiler, so everybody close their ears who don't want to know a little bit of spoiler, but he is not known because he died six months before the war started and is still being debated today as to whether or not it was murder or suicide. And the book is not a mystery, but I have had some people say, oh, I want to know that ahead of time so I can be looking for clues, you know, to see what happened. Well, you just have to go back and reread the book <laughs> if you want to do that. But he was also John Hancock's next door neighbor. And he was a rabble rouser. He was considered a gentleman as far as his status in society, but he didn't really act like it. He was a little wild and crazy. And anytime I would be writing a scene and it would be getting boring, I would ask myself, where is Molyneux? <laughs> Molyneux's energy. <laughs> I love and, that. Uh, and so when he came into the scene, things uh, livened up quite a bit. He's also been dubbed by a couple of people, contemporaries of his, as the author of the Boston Massacre. My book is not a scary book. I'm not into scary or gory or anything like that. But you can read the book and see why he would be dubbed the author of the Boston Massacre. He was also the oldest participant of the Boston Tea Party. Wow. Yeah. So he, um, he got around, uh, he got around, <laughs> he had a lot of influence, uh, on the streets of Boston. Okay. Um, he was the kind of person that, that it didn't matter your lot in life. You were, you could be his friend. And, uh, and actually, uh, there's a scene in the book. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but it was straight out of a diary where Molyneux and Paul Revere did something together. And so, you know, Paul Revere, he was more of an artisan. And so he wasn't quite on the same level as Molyneux as far as his status, you know, in society. But there were other people, especially that were considered in his 
stratosphere <laughs> as far as his status, who did not like him because he was more radical than the radicals. There's there's a scene in a town meeting where he gets up and he threatens some things and everybody's like, ooh, <laughs> get rid of this guy. Oh. Uh, but he had a big, big impact. I, I say if it had not been for William Molyneux, the Boston Tea Party may never have happened. Wow. So are there other ways that he influenced early America? Well, I would say that the way that he influenced early America was that he got out and he rallied the troops, so to speak. And he was the cheerleader and really encouraged people to get involved, so to speak. I don't want to give away too much, but okay. he was uh, he was a very interesting person and people love to follow him. So had if he was around today, he would be a social media influencer. Totally, totally. And well, more, more, uh, I would say face to face. But, you know, he would use whatever tools uh, are used. As a matter of fact, there's one person in my book, James Otis, who wrote very scholarly essays and such pamphlets. He was an attorney and Samuel Adams convinced him that, you know what, nobody's going to read that. <laughs> you need to write something for the masses. And so they started writing newspaper articles. And I have thought about how appropriate that is for today that, you know, we sometimes just kind of have to keep up with the way people are communicating. Mm, I love that. So from your research, then what makes him noteworthy enough to play the starring role in your novel? Well, I would say that his ability to influence people to get off the sidelines and then also being involved in the Boston Tea Party. There was a secret meeting that happened three days before the Tea Party, and Molyneux was part of a committee that would have been there. And so the Tea Party is just this iconic thing in American history that we all know about, or we thought we knew about. Early on, probably the first year or two after I started writing, I had an editor, a professional editor, look at my work and the first 30 pages or so. And she said, I just thought the tea party was a bunch of men who got mad and threw a bunch of tea into the harbor. <laughs> and there's 10 years leading up to that. And that's what the book is about, is, you know, where, where, what sparked that? It wasn't just something that happened overnight. It kept building and building and building. And Molyneux was right in the thick of it. Mm, I love that. So how then are you related to this rabble rouser? How has that played out in your family throughout the generations? Well, when I was doing family tree research, I found out that it was not unusual for people to graft well-known figures in history into their family tree. And they weren't really part of their family tree, but, you know, people start kind of embellishing and saying, well, I think that last name, you know, it's part of our family tree. And, you know, it just gets passed down through the generations. And so I heard a tradition several years ago that Molyneux, William Molyneux was in our family tree. And I just blew it off, partly because I thought he had just been grafted in. And then partly because 
there was some evidence that indicated otherwise, some DNA evidence. Well, I helped someone who thought they had descended from William Molyneux work through their family tree, and we found out that they were not related. And all of a sudden, the door was open for me to be related to him. And I started looking at the evidence, and it pointed into the direction that uh, we, we were related. And then two years ago, there was additional evidence that surfaced. We still haven't connected all the dots, but I've tried my best to prove he's not in my family tree. But every time I do, the evidence indicates otherwise. So you have to stay tuned on that. <laughs> I guess. So what do you hope your readers will take away most from reading The Spirit of a Revolution? Well, I would like for them to see the similarities. I had lots of jaw-dropping experiences while I was doing the research when I read things and I'm like, oh my word, that could be the headlines today. And the things that they were fighting for are some of the same things that we're fighting for today. And I was just in shock at how similar it was. And of course, in a novel, I tried to make it so that you could relate to the characters, uh, but it wasn't that hard in some ways because they were experiencing so many things like we're experiencing today. So I was just I was just amazed. And all of a sudden, documents such as the Declaration of Independence took on a new life because it wasn't just this document that some men sat down and decided, you know what, we want to have freedom of this or freedom of that. It was in a context of things Mm -hmm. that were going on in their daily lives and that were impacting them. And so I hope that people will see the the similarities there. And I don't think it will be very difficult to see those similarities. And then also recognizing these were real people. John Hancock, I was really surprised. You know, we think about him as being this amazing patriot, which he was, but he was a little wishy-washy at the beginning. So that was a surprise to me. But it's interesting to follow his journey. And he had physical issues that affected him. I mean, there was times he was bedridden and I had no idea. And so it just gave me a new appreciation for who these people were. And they weren't these people that were some superstars other than the fact that they did the right thing. I was branded a few years ago. And, you know, as far as what is my brand, who am I to the core? And my brand is basically, you know, who I am to the core is do the right thing, no matter the cost. Mm -hmm. And that's what these men did, is they did the right thing, no matter the cost. I love that. (laughs) We can be inspired by them. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And so if John Hancock had physical issues, health issues, I'll bet that could make it. It could make people think he was wishy-washy when in reality he was struggling with health issues that limited him. Well, maybe, maybe. Maybe, (laughs) so maybe not then. Ah. You have to read the book. Okay. He, he, uh, you know, he, he, we don't think about the fact that somebody like John Hancock struggled. Well, he starts out in my book. Oh, boy, if I have it figured out right, usually math is my thing. But on the fly, I think he was about 20. He was in his 20s when the book started. We don't think about him being a young man like that. Mm 
but he was struggling through some of these things. And same thing with, uh, with John Adams, you know, we think about him being this wonderful hero, which he is, but he turned 30 in my book. And I mentioned in there that uh, there are times of transition in our lives that make us take a different path. Mm. And so we forget that these people were young men and uh, that struggled just like we do today or, you know, when we were young and figuring out, you know, which path am I going to take? And wow. it was, I'm glad that they ended up on the right path, but sometimes it was a struggle. Mm. And that perspective, I mean, most people, you, we just think of them as these old people yeah. that, yeah. you know, wow, context yeah. is everything. Yeah. 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 We have a snapshot of who they are and we forget that there was more than just John Hancock being the president of Continental Congress and signing his name really big. That right. was years after my book ended, you know, mm-hmm. uh, a couple years after my book ended. And, uh, but there was a, there was a process to get him to that point. Mm. So can you reveal who will actually be the star of book two? And do you have a title for that one yet? Well, when I first had the idea of the book in my mind, it was going to be one book and three parts. I had no idea what I was doing eight years ago, (laughs) after, you know, I put myself in places uh, so that I could learn from the experts. And, you know, as I studied it and as I wrote, thought about what genre it should be, I realized it really needed to be three books. And so I've laid the groundwork for the first book because I thought it was going to be part, I mean, the the second book, because I thought it was going to be part of the first book. And so the second book, if things go as planned, will be set in Virginia and then in North Carolina. Edmund Pendleton is also in my family tree, but Edmund Pendleton was a friend and colleague of George Washington, and he stayed at Mount Vernon with George Washington and Patrick Henry on the way to the First Continental Congress. And Edmund Pendleton actually wrote George Washington's first will. It's not the will that he died under, but he, uh, Edmund Pendleton was an attorney. Edmund Pendleton, I'm really looking forward to writing about him because I can relate to him more than I can to William Molyneux. And uh, so I'm looking forward to that. But you may be interested to know that Patrick Henry will be the antagonist in my second book. <laughs> and do you and do you have a title for it yet or at least a working title? Well, my first thought was that it would be a series because the chronology is there, but I'm not sure. So I thought it'd be The Spirit of a Revolution and then subtitle something about Virginia and North Carolina because Edmund Pendleton's nephew will also be in the book and he was a signer of the Declaration of Independence. And he and his uncle did not always see eye to eye. John Penn uh, is his name. And he was a little more radical. And he refused to pay, if I remember correctly from my research from several years ago, he refused to pay the one pence that he was required to pay for speaking against the king. So he fled to North Carolina in an area that was a little bit more radical than Virginia. Virginia was extremely conservative. And so I'm looking forward to delving into that. And I have a third book in mind as well. Another William Molyneux that was in um, 
in uh, Ireland and uh, in England, and he was a friend of John Locke. So that I'm looking forward to the philosophical aspect. Uh, that's wow. more what I deal with. You know, I'm not I'm dealing with the revolution, but I'm dealing with the revolution that John Adams says happens inside mm. the hearts and minds of people, as opposed to the physical aspect of revolution. Wow. So wrapping this up, how can your readers make a difference in preserving American liberty? And where can listeners go to learn more about what you have to offer them? topics you could present to their groups, et cetera. Right. Well, as far as how to make a difference, one of the things that I have been into kind of as a hobby for 30 years or so is understanding personalities and differences in people. And that's one thing that jumped out at me in this book is there were people like John Hancock, who had a lot of money and he used that to fund the calls And there were people like like John Adams, who was an attorney, and he provided his legal expertise. And there were people like Samuel Adams, who was kind of, in a lot of ways, working behind the scenes and influencing people and getting Molyneux to do his thing and uh, James Otis to do his thing. And and then there was Paul Revere, who was more of an artisan. And so there's just a variety of ways that you can be used for a cause. You don't have to fit into a particular mold. And so, uh, you know, God uses all kinds of people in all kinds of ways. And so, you know, look at the gifting that you've been given and the, the natural and supernatural abilities that you've been given and ask the Lord, you know, how do you want me to, to use this? And it may be like me eight years ago. I'm like, oh my Lord, I have a book to write. Well, I never thought about writing a book. I'd done some writing and I was fairly good at it, but writing a novel was way beyond my wildest imaginations. But I think it was God taking who he had made me to be and putting my strengths and my weaknesses into what he wanted me to do. And God can use that. And as far as where people can go, my website is my name, which I I know is a little challenging, but it's Cam, C-A-M, Molyneux, M-O-L-I-N-E-U-X dot com, cammolyneux.com. And you can see there, uh, I have a resource tab. I also have a speaking tab, and I've listed a couple of different things that I could speak on, either virtually or in person, uh, to special interest groups or to homeschool groups or private schools. Again, the range is broad as far as uh, teenagers all the way up to people in retirement years have expressed interest in the book. So I think that there's something for everyone. Mm. Well, I just love that. And I just am excited to see all that God is going to do with this book and your message and, you know, just all that you are being faithful with the gift that he Mm -hmm. has given you. So I just want to pray a blessing over your ministry and this book and all that, all the plans that God has for it. Um, and just well, thank you. absolutely, it has been a delight to have you on today. Thank you so much for being with us today. Well, thank you for having me. I really, really appreciate it. Well, thanks for joining us today for the All Things Podcast brought to you by Redemption Press and the Romans 828 Bookstore. 
So hey, I'd like to ask you a favor. If you would, consider sharing this episode with your friends on social media. And if you haven't yet left a review of the podcast on Apple, I would love it if you would take a minute to do that as it would help other people find the show and also let them know that it's a show worth listening to. So thanks so much for joining us today and I will see you next week. Bye for now.